chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles and you're not there yet, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 17 and we're going to notice uh, a pretty complex and amazing scene. And yet it is a very simple message that is being communicated through this glorious scene. And, and I want you as best you can as we look at this this morning and try to visualize the, the majesty of what we are looking at in regards to Jesus in Matthew 17. And then we'll spend some time talking about what that message means uh, for us today. You will notice that verse 1 of Matthew 17 simply begins with that it is six days later. So there's not a lot of time that has gone by, a very short amount of time, since when Jesus had this encounter with his disciples, where Peter has essentially, it tells us, rebuked Jesus because Jesus said, we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer many things and I'm going to be handed over to the leaders and I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be raised from the dead. Peter responded, surely not you, Lord, that's never going to happen to you. And Jesus has explained what that looks like by saying, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross, deny yourself and take up your cross to follow me. Six days later now, since that teaching and a really stunning scene unfolds, a, a glorious scene, because you'll notice it says in verse one that that Jesus chooses to take only three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. It's interesting to seem to be somewhat of an inner circle of sorts. And the three of them now go up on this high mountain. And we're told there in, in verse 2 that Jesus was transfigured before them. And I looked up that word because transfigured is not a word that we use. Um, but transformed is, and it's the same word that's used that way. There's nothing special that, about the word transfigured, but you're supposed to get a, a, a sense and a meaning of a really dramatic change has happened at this moment. And you get a sense of that in the way it's described and visualize what you're hearing in verse two. And this transformation is so stunning that it says, his face was shining like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Now, I want you to imagine being on that mountain for a moment because it says that his face was shining like the sun. Okay, if you're outside and can you go look at the sun? This I want you to imagine these men seeing Jesus and how blinding this moment would have been. You would have had to avert your eyes. You would have been having to go like this. You would have had to kind of block the power of that light out as Jesus is so transformed that this glory is like the, the sun shining right before them and his clothes are brilliantly shining as white in that moment, it says. So uh, amazing visual of, of glory. But not only that, we're told in verse 3, Moses and Elijah appear talking with him. All right, I'm, I'm fly on the wall at that moment. The three of them are having a discussion. Who doesn't want to walk in on that one and go, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> Unbelievable scene. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus with Jesus just shining brilliantly. 
And they're having a conversation with one another. And I want you to, to just feel the weight of how amazing this would have been. And it colors a lot of what you see happening next, where Peter says, this is so good that we are here. This is an absolutely amazing scene. We are glad we got to see this. If you want, Lord, let me make three tents and we can just enjoy this moment. And I think that's the intent behind this is that we want to give you honor and we want this to never stop. I mean, just imagine that scene. Uh, who wants to make this end? Who wants to go, hey, you know what? It's lunchtime. Can we, get, can we wrap this up and get going? Oh, no. Let's stay here. We can build three tents. We can just have the time of our lives and enjoy this moment and soak it in. Friends, not only is Jesus transformed, but Moses and Elijah are there. Now, it's been hundreds of years since those guys were alive. And here they are in resurrected form with Jesus, having a conversation. And Peter's like, let's not let this stop. In fact, the Mark account is fascinating because it says they were terrified and didn't know what to say. <laughs> and I, I would imagine so. What do you say in this moment? Your jaw has to be on the ground. This is a stunning scene of the glory and majesty of Jesus at this moment. And Peter's like, well, we need to just do something about this. Let's keep this scene going. Let's not let it stop. And I hope that as you read that, you get a feel that that has been seen before. You might remember that you have in Moses' lifetime a couple of times where Moses goes up on the mountain and he's going there to have this conversation with God and a cloud then overshadows that mountain. And you see that happen there in verse five, where it says that while Peter was still speaking, this bright cloud overshadowed them. So imagine now in all of this brilliance, here comes this big cloud coming in. And you might remember how similar this would be to the scene in Exodus 34, because after Moses was in the cloud talking with God, it says that when he came down, his face was shining and it terrified the people of Israel such that Moses had to cover his face because of the glory that was just exploding in that moment. And now it's happening again happening for another time in this similar experience. And I love how it's worded there in verse five, while he was still speaking. So here's, here's Peter, you know, talking, going, let's get tense. We, we can get this taken care of. We've got the resources. We will get the, And all of a sudden, while Peter's talking about building tents, verse five says, a voice from the clouds said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. An absolutely glorious message is now proclaimed in this glorious scene as Jesus is radiating with glory as the brightness of the sun is shining. And in that scene, you have an important message. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We've heard that one other time. 
You might remember it happens at the baptism of Jesus, where we have the father again saying that as he comes down again with with that light as the heavens open and proclaiming, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now again, before Peter, James and John, they hear this similar message. And I want us to spend a few moments talking about what that message would have meant. It is interesting that you're told here in verse nine that when this whole scene is over, Jesus instructs his disciples to not tell anybody about what they've seen until Jesus has risen from the dead. So what is the message? What's the significance? How interesting to say, don't say anything about this until later. All right, well, what would be the message later? Hey, we saw Jesus and he was, you know, transformed and shining like the sun just wanted you to know. Uh, Clearly, there's a meaning to this. There's something that is trying to be communicated in this scene. This isn't just Jesus going, hey, let me show you my glory for a moment. Hey, wasn't that cool? Glad you liked it. Let's get back on to our merry way. There's something important about this that Peter, James, and John are supposed to understand. And that Jesus says, don't tell anybody about it until the resurrection. Then you can explain to people the message. And there's a few places where Peter refers to this idea. Over in Acts chapter 3 and verse 22, you have this understanding that Peter has about who Jesus is. Where he quotes what Moses said from Deuteronomy 18. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets have, have spoken from Samuel And those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Now, I think this is an interesting framework that Peter has because you have Moses and Elijah with Jesus. And notice that Peter says, here's what I want you to know about Jesus. Moses said something about him that Moses said that the one who comes after me is going to be a prophet and you need to listen to him. And do whatever he tells you and whoever does not listen to him will be destroyed. And then the very next thing he says, and you know what? It wasn't only Moses who said that. All the prophets. Now, that's always fascinating to me. Because you go, well, obviously some of the things that the prophets said weren't written down because he says every single prophet from the day of Samuel on All were proclaiming about this. They were all talking about this event. So Elijah was and Elisha was. They all were pointing. All the prophets were looking forward to this great event about his arrival and the message of listening to him. But what is interesting to me about this scene as it's being given here is not that you have a picture of equality. It is not a picture of, well, here's Jesus, here's Moses, here's Elijah, here's the great three. But I want you to notice that the text is very clear when it says in verse five that the voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So 
authorizing, this is my one. But notice the words are not, listen to them, but listen to him. I, I would have been fine with listen to them. Yeah, listen to Moses and listen to Elijah. You better listen to those guys. But notice there's a superiority that's being described. Here are the, the, the big three. Here's Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. Peter says, Moses, Elijah have all been speaking of Jesus in these days. And the voice from heaven says, listen to my son. Listen to him. Which is what Moses, if you remember, said to do. As was quoted there from Deuteronomy in Acts 3. Prophet like me will arise. Listen to him. He is the one that has authority. He is the one that you need to pay attention to. He is the one that you need to listen to. Now, before I move into this application scene, I think we need to take an important sidestep here about this transfiguration, transformation scene. Because I do think there is a lot of misunderstanding about what this is doing. And the misunderstanding comes from the end of chapter 16. If you look at the end of chapter 16 in Matthew, you notice in verse 28, you're told there that Jesus ends this discussion about denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him by saying, truly, I say to you. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, it was not my desire to do a whole sermon on that sentence, which it certainly deserves. But there is there are a lot of people who read verse 28 and say the fulfillment of the Son of Man coming in his kingdom here is now here in the transfiguration here in chapter 17. That here's Jesus and he's shining like the sun and full of glory and honor and majesty. And so what you are seeing is now that fulfillment. And I'm going to submit to you that that's not what Jesus was talking about for a lot of reasons. But for me, the most notable is only six days have gone by. It is not much of a prophecy if I stood up here and said, there are some sitting here who will not see death till next Sunday. That's not going out on a limb. That's not really actually saying a whole lot of anything. If we are talking about an event that's only going to happen just a few days later. And I will remind you that Jesus used this very phrase when he was talking to Caiaphas. And Caiaphas, in his trial, he tells Caiaphas, you're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds and coming with his kingdom. Same kind of terminology, same kind of imagery. And so the transfiguration scene is not the point. But rather, when Jesus raises from the dead and ascends into heaven, and takes his seat at the right hand of God and begins to initiate his rule by putting nations under his feet and subjugating his enemies. That's what Jesus was pointing to. That's the event that this is happening. There are some standing there who were not going to taste death until the risen Lord. The resurrection 
was coming down the road and people were going to see it. And that was going to be a glorious event of his enthronement. But we have to save all that for when we get to the resurrection. But I want us just to note here, this is not a, oh, okay, well, that just, just got fulfilled six days later. Now, I want you to notice that the commandment that, that is ultimately given here, because what you see here, Jesus telling his disciples and, and how they understood that is so important. The command is in verse five, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen, listen to him. And, G- and Peter not only recounts it in the Acts account, but listen to how Peter recounts this in his second letter and the point that he makes, because I think that'll help us understand what this transfiguration, transformation moment is ultimately about. First Peter one, second Peter one, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were witnesses of his majesty. Now, let's set a little bit of context to what Peter is writing about. In the prior paragraph, Peter is writing and telling his readers that he is writing things down for them so that they can remember what Peter has taught them. I'm putting these things down so you won't forget These key things that I've taught you. All right. And then notice how Peter transitions by saying what we told you and what we followed. They were not cleverly devised myths. Now, here's one of the things that I find fascinating about that. Two thousand years later, people still say the same thing. (laughs) Peter's in the first century. And guess what people were saying? It was all a story. The apostles made it up. You know, they were so devoted, they wanted to keep the thing going. And so they made up a bunch of stories and myths and carried it on. Nothing's changed. You know, we we act like we're so modern and so smart. In Peter's day, they were doing the exact same thing. And he says, that's not what happened. It was not a story. It was not a myth. It was not a neat idea. It was not something we sat down and said, We need to come up with a really cool story about some guy named Jesus. Here's what he says happened. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And I want you to notice what he points to as being the eyewitness time of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about the Matthew 17 moment. He says we weren't making up stories about who this Jesus guy is and what he could do. We were eyewitnesses of the majesty. And not only were we eyewitnesses, we were on the mountain. We saw him with his face shining like the sun. We saw him with his clothes that were brilliantly white. We saw him talking to Moses and Elijah. We heard the voice come from the cloud say, this is my beloved son. We saw it. Now, why is that so important? Here's why. 
Because everything that we believe about history comes from eyewitness testimony. How do you know that there was a Julius Caesar, an Alexander the Great, or even a George Washington? You saw him, right? You were there. (laughs) So I'm old, but not that old. How do you know? How do you know that George Washington was not just a myth to try to unite together a fledgling country that was just trying to get on its feet and just trying to get things going and you had colonies that were splintering. And so here's what we need to do. We need to create a figure who will unify this new group so that we can all be joined together. And so we'll just make this George Washington guy. We'll make some neat stories. And you know, he could have been president a really long time, but he chose to step down. And so what What a man of selflessness and sacrifice. And it was all just made up. How do you know any of that is real? It's a great story. Because there were people who said, we saw him and wrote it down. You don't have anything more than that. You don't. That's how we know anything in history. How do you know Alexander the Great did anything? Yeah, just some neat story of Greeks, you know. He was really, how do you know? Because there were people who were alive and said, here's what we saw. And I want you to hear Peter saying, I know you think this is just a story. I know you think this is a great myth. But we were eyewitnesses of the majesty and glory and power and might of Jesus Christ. We were on the mountain and we saw all that happen. Now notice the conclusion Peter draws with that. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, even defends what they wrote down and says, we didn't just sit down one day and go, what should we write about Jesus? Guys got some ideas There's so much. Oh yeah, the mountain scene. That, that's a good one. Make sure you get that one in there, Matthew. You better, you better include that one. We, we'll be lacking without that. He says, that's not how it worked. We didn't sit around and go, hmm, what should we talk about today about Jesus? Yeah, that would be neat. We'll add that chapter in. We were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We had the actual words of God and that's what you have. And that's what he's saying is, You have God's word confirmed to you. Here's Peter going, you know that everything that God said from Genesis to Malachi, from the law and the prophets, from Moses and Elijah, were all pointing to the days of Jesus and they came true. It happened. You have the prophetic word confirmed. 
So pay attention to what the word says. Because it's your light in the dark place. Now here's what's fascinating to me about how Peter has recounted these events. In 2 Peter, when he writes it, he says, you need to listen to the prophetic word. In Acts 3, he quoted Moses who said, listen to him and whatever he tells you or you will be destroyed. And what is the simple message of Matthew 17 is the voice now comes. Here's Peter saying, let's build tents. Let's let's ever end. Let's just be together with Moses and Elijah. And the father interrupts the scene. The cloud comes in while he's still speaking. The voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Now don't end it. What does he say? Listen to him. Peter's takeaway from this scene is singular. Listen to him. And that's why when he wrote his letter, he said, guess what we need to do? Listen to him. And when he preached his second sermon in Acts 3, he said, listen to him. Because the message when they were on that mountain and they saw all of that glory, was the father saying, listen to him. And notice that's how the scene ends. Verse six, when they heard this, they were terrified. They fell on their faces. Verse seven, Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. It's like the whole scene just ends. Here's Moses, here's Elijah, here's Jesus, here's the superiority of Jesus, here's the glory of Jesus. The disciples are on their faces, they're just being blinded by this light, and the voice says, this is my son, listen to him, and it all just comes to an end. And Jesus says, it's all right, don't fear. And they don't see anybody but Jesus. You might remember how the the book of Hebrews opens. In the past, God spoke in all kinds of ways. Various people in diverse ways. But in these last days, he has only spoken by his son. And the father says, listen to him. Now, here's the, the big application as I want to talk about for you this morning. And I'm going to ask it in perhaps a strange way. But I think it's important to try to drive out the idea. Can we call ourselves Christians and still do whatever we want to do? Can I follow my own desires and call myself a disciple of Jesus? Well, let me put the question in a different frame. Does someone have authority over us? So often what we want to do is make ourselves the final authority. I'm the authority of my life and I choose what I want to do. I choose what I want to be and obey. That's just I'm going to do that. 
And I want you to hear the message of this transformation of Jesus. This is my son, my who rules over all creation. Listen to him. So let me ask you a dumb question. What does it mean to listen to him? What does that mean? If this is the some big deal about the glory of Jesus and the message is you need to listen to him. I want you to think about what that entails for us. I want you to think about how far reaching those words are. Because I want to come to the word and go listen to him on the things that I agree with. Listen to him on the things I like. Listen to him on the things that work for me, that are palatable and comfortable. That's when I will listen to him. And I want to ask us, do we listen to what some of Jesus says or do we listen to all of what Jesus says? Jesus is not coming to us with the message here from the father. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to what he says that works for you. You take what you like of my life and my message and you accept what works for you. If I fit in your lifestyle a little bit, then, you know, then you take that part that works for you. What does it mean to listen to him? And let me back up a little bit and bring that into some context. Six days ago, what happened? Six days ago in our scene that we have here in Matthew 17, you have Jesus saying, I'm going to be killed and raised from the dead. And Peter said, that won't happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in your mind by saying that. But think about where Jesus goes. If you want to follow me, You need to deny yourself and take up the cross. And the very next message from God the Father is, listen to him. Listen to him. Can a Christian do what they want and still be a Christian? No. Deny yourself to take up the cross because that's what he said And God, the father in the cloud said, we must listen to him. He is the authority of our life. Now, very quick, don't worry. Look at verse 10. Matthew 17, 10. The disciples asked him, then why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come and he'll restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist This whole little supposed side point about John as Elijah. And notice the point that Jesus makes about John. What happened with John? 
If I were to use the context, he denied himself and he took up the cross and followed Jesus. We've read about his death in the Gospel of Matthew. Because he desired to be right with God, he listened, denied himself, and paid the price. And notice Jesus piggybacks on that and says, and so it will be with me. I'm going to deny myself, and I'm also going to suffer many things and go to the cross. And Jesus' big message is, and if you want to follow me, you must do likewise. So I just want to give you a reflective moment then as we end. Is there an area in our lives where we're not listening to Jesus? Is there something about what Jesus has taught us to do that we're not listening to? That we're ignoring? Is there something that he said we need to change that we're not changing? Is there something in your life that he says you need to stop that you're not stopping? Is there something in your life that he said to do that you're not doing? Listen to him. And the call is to deny ourselves. And we can't come to Jesus and go, I listen to 50%. 90%, I listen to 95%. Can a Christian do whatever they want to do and still be a Christian? Or must the Christian listen to him because by definition he follows Christ? Is there an area in your life that you have been ignoring, neglecting, refusing to touch, excusing, not addressing, not dealing with? And I would ask you, what is keeping you from listening to him? What's holding you back? Listen to him. Peter says, we saw his glory. It was not a story. He's for real. And he's got a reward for you. If you'll deny, take up your cross and follow me. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, it would have been amazing to see that sight. To be on the mountain and see the full glory of your sun shining like the sun. Lord, we're grateful that we have recorded for us the majesty of your sun the power of his majesty that put his disciples to the ground, overwhelmed and terrified by the sheer glory of our son, Savior. Lord, thank you so much for your son. And Lord, thank you for giving us the sure word by which we have a light that guides us, that exposes our sins, reveals to us where we need the transformation. Lord, I pray that you would give us honest, open, pure hearts right now to receive the message that there might be areas in our lives that simply need to be addressed. 
areas in our lives where we are refusing to listen to your son. Lord, I pray that one, you'd forgive us for when we've done that. Forgive us for not listening to your son. Forgive us for not changing where we know we should change. Forgive us for not stopping sins where we know we should stop. Forgive us for not being more proactive in our love for you where we know we should. And Lord, I pray that you would make today a day of radical transformation from inside us out. Make today a day where we'd be cutting off sin and putting it to death. Help us to be far more focused, Lord, as a servant of yours. Who zealously desire to hear the words of your son and to follow it with all of our might. Forgive us for when we have ignored your son and discounted the things that he said. And Lord, we pray that we would be courageous in our service to you. Help us to be bold in our obedience. Help us to be strong against temptation. And Lord, we look forward to seeing you in all your glory for all eternity with nothing holding it back. Thank you for the hope that we have in your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.